For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everybody, I got the great Brandon Harnish with me today. Um, he had kind of came across my radar from a Twitter follower, and he said, "Oh, I like what this guy's doing," and he kind of challenges my personal bias. So um, I decided that I would have him on today. Um, but real quick, before we start getting into the nitty gritty and where we may see things differently, although I don't think it's any, anything major, um, tell me about your political journey because um i have not found any shows with you even though if you have done them i just am not aware um just kind of where'd you start politically and how'd you get to where you are now and what got you involved yeah sure and i i'll i'll mention um on twitter i don't typically use my name um it it i guess my tagline is harnish for county council but my um my handle is indiana paleo um, so I was born in Indiana, grew up in Indiana, um, hence the name. Um, and as far as um, kind of what my background is here, uh, this is the first interview I've ever done. Um, so it's not going to be polished. I, I don't have a, a list of talking points to run over in my head here. So I was honored and humbled when you, um, when you asked. And I, I thought, oh, that'd be fantastic. It'd give me an opportunity to get some practice in. Um, so, you know, my political journey, I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. When I was a teenager, uh, I, was, um, I was a junior in, uh, I was a sophomore, a junior in high school. I, I think I was a junior. My, um, my history teacher gave me um, the Ayn Rand book, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. And uh, I read it. I was... Um, already very amenable to, um, to her perspective. Um, <clears throat> and not long after that, I started the Libertarian Party in my county. Um, not long after that, I went to college. Uh, that's what happens you know, when you're in high school. <laughs> and, uh, and so I left my town and I just sort of left the Libertarian Party dormant. And during my college years, I um, was exposed to the Ludwig von Mises Institute, probably through Thomas Woods. Um, and I attended the Mises University, um, the summer university programs. Um, have you ever been to those? No, I've not. No. Okay. Um, I, 
I attended those in 07, 08, and 09. Um, and then in 2010, I went to the Rothbard Graduate Seminar. Okay. So um, I do have, a, I like to believe, a pretty strong background in libertarian um, political philosophy, uh, particularly the economics, um, the economic aspects of that philosophy. I um, um, was reasonably active on the Ron Paul campaign in 2008, um, did, did my part. And, um, and then when I graduated from, from college, I sort of drifted into this um, non-voting, um, I guess you'd call it a sentiment or a principle, mm. and um, sort of found myself in some Anabaptist um, Mennonite circles. And um, the interesting thing about Anabaptists is that, um, I mean, it's not like it's they, how do I describe this? It, it is unlike an, any other type of Christianity mm -hmm. because it is very political, Yeah. but it is political in a very different way than maybe your um, just typical conservative evangelical who likes to vote Republican or your ex-evangelical who's going to vote Democrat, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the, the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, I think have a really nuanced and interesting perspective on politics, but- sure like anything else, progressivism has invaded and um, corrupted certain elements of, of the church. Mm -hmm. um, but that really kind of put me down on a track of just, I'm going to mind my own business. Um, I don't want to be involved. Uh, to the extent that I am political, it is my um, maybe in the Mennonite tradition, they sort of define politics a little bit more broadly so when you're volunteering for the church, when you're, um, when you're volunteering at local events, uh, Boys and Girls Club, right, you're mentoring children and, and young adults, you're, um, those are all a part of your politics, right? So politics for Mennonites doesn't just occur in the, the red or blue world, right? Um, it's not just about voting because many Mennonites don't vote. Um, and so I, I sort of went through that trajectory and it, and, and I actually um, considered myself a left libertarian mm -hmm. um, for a, quite a few years um, until 2020. And I'll, and like I said, I'll try to keep this brief. So I'll get to the point. Um, in 2020, I watched American cities burn and I watched my neighbor's barbecue business get shut down by the health department. Okay. That's unacceptable <laughs> it, it, for masks for not abiding the mask mandate. Abiding sorry, yes. Yeah, sorry to kind of get you off rails, but look, I, I'm such a barbecue enthusiast. So I, I <laughs> guns are blazing. He's back open now. I, I just okay, had good. lunch there. Yeah. And nice. we, we can get into that if you'd like sometime, for sure. but I, I mean, I observed this and, and the thing was, the, the, the cities were burning to the ground or mm -hmm. that may be an exaggeration, but not in some cases. In some summer cases, love. Some, yeah. All summer long. And nobody cared about the social distancing or the masks. There were excuses. I'm like, watching that was, I don't, I don't know if I'll call it a red pill because look, I lived through the Iraq. I grew up through the Iraq war. Right. I mean, I was red pilled a long time ago, Yeah, but that was a whole nother level. Um, I, you might say I just, I took a couple more red pills after that. 
overdosed, took the over. Yeah, I over and I voted for Trump. So it was the first time I had actually voted in a general election since I voted for Michael Badnarik in 2004, libertarian nominee. Um, And of course, in the primary, I voted for Ron Paul in 2008. I did not vote for Ron Paul or anybody in 2012. But um, yeah, so I did vote for Donald Trump in 2020. And then several months later, I received a, um, our family business received a 50% property tax assessment increase and um, that was when I decided enough is enough. I'm going to get political. Wow. Mm-hmm. And um, that property tax increase, right? Other things being equal, it would probably amount to ten to $15,000 additional taxes every year um, for our business. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just like let that rest and I'll give you the floor, but that's that that's kind of my very brief political history. Um, it has been a roller coaster, though. I mean, there have been years of total anarchism, old right sentiment, left libertarian Mennonite anarchism, um, anar- anarcho-capitalism. I- I've really dabbled in a lot of different things, and mm-hmm. and now where I think I'm, and again, just to put a bow on this, where I think I've I've sort of settled is. And this is, I owe this, I owe my Mennonite background to this is the importance of hearth and home, the importance of, of duty to your community, of duty to your country. But I don't mean this in a, in a statist way. Um, these duties, they're the responsibilities that come with freedom. So if I don't like my tax assessor because she is raising my assessments unethically, it is my duty and my civic responsibility to put an end to her. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's, that's the angle I take when I talk about duty or civic responsibility. Um, but I'll let that, I'll just let that lie there. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot to kind of pull a thread there. Um, I didn't even realize left libertarians were a thing. So um, to give a very small background, I've talked about um, kind of where I've gotten into libertarianism. My brother introduced me to Stefan Molyneux back in like 2013 and Austin Peterson, Larry Sharp. And these guys, I, Larry's definitely not like right leaning, but a lot of these guys, you know, it, you would have a hard time if you listen to some of their, um, I don't say talking points, but like some of their ideas, you would have a hard time distinguishing them from, let's say, a uh, Liberty Republican, right? Or, you know, a guy who's anti-war, pro-family values, pro-small government, um, libertarians of that ilk kind of run alongside Liberty Republicans. So um, it really wasn't until about last year, which is, you know, about seven years separated that I really figured out that there's like a lot of left libertarians. And it really kind of shook my worldview and changed the ways I kind of see the whole libertarian party and the liberty movement as a whole because uh i voted for joe jorgensen i voted for gary johnson and uh i I didn't quite have this full picture yet right and i was always kind of confused why guys like you know tom woods or a lot of the bigger names in the liberty movement why they never associated with the libertarian party there was a disconnect yeah yeah, that that's a really good point and if i can interject yeah go ahead um, yeah i've i i've noticed this even though I really, so again, back in 2004, you, you still sort of had the Harry Brown element in the party. Michael yeah. Bednarik was not a left libertarian. Um, so that 
the Libertarian Party was not captured by progressive um, forces at that time. Right. Well, real Since quick. I had, yeah, go ahead. Should, um, when it comes to Harry Brown, the context there is you can, it's like him and Ron Paul, Dave Smith talks about this all the time, but you cannot overstate how massive it is for someone like Harry Brown, right? A presidential candidate to write an article on September 12th, 2001 and say, when will we learn? Like there is nobody <laughs> that has the courage to do something like that. Gary Johnson wouldn't have did that. <laughs> Joe Jorgensen right. wouldn't have done no. something like that. Like that takes balls right. or Ron Paul in 2007 on the debate stage, you know, getting booed by thousands right. of people and right. then coming back and just keep pushing it. So it, it, it gives me chills to think about the right. that those men displayed. And, mm -hmm. and, and again, this is something we can get into a little later, deeper yeah. in the conversation, but the, the importance of political courage, right. um, it, it is not just about having the right ideas in this mm -hmm. game. You yes. have to have courage. Exactly. And that's what was missing mostly from the Libertarian Party over the last you know, decade is that yeah. they're right. Like Joe Jorgensen's a great Libertarian. She's solid on everything you could want her to be solid on. But look at her in the moment. <laughs> Black yeah. Lives Matter while people's cities are burning. And this is what a majority of the political right see is they see cities burning after everybody was united. Right. Everybody agreed what happened to George Floyd was wrong. And like there, there's no debate. Everybody agreed that was horrible. But then the problem is that the left is going to take that. They're going to take that kite and they're going to run over and they're going to burn cities down and say, this is justified. And I remember having friends saying, oh, yeah, if my son was killed like that, then I'd want to burn cities, too. It's like, OK, well, now, you know, then you have the libertarian presidential candidate saying Black Lives Matter. And what's the first thing that people are going to associate with that? They're not going to associate George Floyd and his wrongful death. They're going to associate the cities burning down. So now you just completely shut everybody off. Once again, sold on all the no. issues, but now you just pissed off one entire faction who yeah. you could win their vote, but now you you lost it. When the, when the Libertarian Party is indistinguishable from the NBA um, <laughs> in their response to these riots, it's a yeah. problem. Right, um, absolutely. And, and, and I, I wanted to ask, are you getting, I do not have a headset on, so your voice is coming through my speakers. Are you getting... Um, any kind of reverb or double sound? No, no, no. Your audio is good. Actually, okay. it's fantastic. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw a curveball there. No, you're fine. Um, but we were talking about the Libertarian Party, Joe Jorgensen, and I, I did want to um, sort of elaborate on one point I mentioned, sure. um, sort of how Mennonite politics has informed where I am now. And it comes down to rootedness, right? Again, um, this, this, this sense of loyalty to your people. And I see this in Ron DeSantis. I think he's an excellent example. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I have never seen a man with political power say that, you know, if you're going to try to enforce this biomedical security state, I'm going to get in your way because mm -hmm. Florida, baby, Florida is a free state. And I'm going to stand by parents. I'm going to stand by the children. I'm going to stand by the citizens of Florida. You know, and he, he said it again and again, I'm going to stand in your way because Biden had made some offhand comment or maybe it was Saki about these yeah. governors that are getting in the way. And to say, like, I'm going to get in your way, man. Yeah. That is political courage and that, that sense of loyalty to your people. And <clears throat> there's something about that that to me is, is deeply virtuous. Mm -hmm. it's, it's attractive because now, you know, 
liberty is not just an idea, right? We're talking about loyalty to the liberty of your people. And yeah. that's the kind of thing that is going to get voters to the polls. I'm going right. to fight for you and your freedoms. We, we There's this, and I, I, I hesitate to say disembodied because there are anarchists on Twitter that will say, you know, I'm not, I'm not some sort, I don't believe people are these floating brains or anything like that. It's like, no, I know you don't believe that. And I, I don't want to make a caricature of, of you. However, I think that there, um, despite you saying you don't believe that, and despite you really not believing that, which I believe, you're, there, there is still an implication of that. It is still embedded in your ideas somewhere when, when liberty becomes, like, I support liberty. Well, the liberty of who? Liberty of what? Like, people, the people. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that is, again, to sort of go back to DeSantis, that, that sense of duty and loyalty to your community or to your state. Um, those are the, the virtues that, um, that create distance between the individual and the state. You have to have these intermediary forces in there and virtues fill that gap. Um, loyalties fill that gap. Churches, family, gender identity. Those institutions, those cultural or organic social institutions, and they fill that gap. And even something as simple as like softball clubs, bowling clubs, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, rotary clubs, so civic organizations and social organizations. And bands, live music. Live music, bands. Mm -hmm. When those things are eroded and deteriorated, the state will have a direct relationship with the individual. There's a great article I would encourage everybody to look up. It's probably the only article I'm going to mention. Um, don't quote me on that. It's called Killing for the Telephone Company. And it, it, it's not well known in libertarian circles, but it is, in my view, it, it is a fundamental article to my politics. Mm -hmm. And it really, it, it the, the conclusion is very similar to like anarcho-libertarians, mm -hmm. which is there's no difference between killing for the state and just killing for the telephone company, right? It's, it's murder, okay? Yeah. But- William Cavanaugh, he is the author, he arrives at that conclusion through history and through a realistic interpretation or a realistic um, sort of through realism, right? He's not out talking about the common good. He's not talking about philosophy. He's talking about political reality. Mm -hmm. And why is it that when a soldier goes to war, it, it, like, it's like killing for the telephone company. That's sort of his conclusion. Um, but one of the major points of this article is the importance of these intermediary associations. So uh, bands are, I think, a great example. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, there's uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to plug away at here and uh, I'm glad we're hitting on a lot of different stuff. Um, I get frustrated with anarchists. So I consider myself a narco-capitalist libertarian, but I almost never even say it anymore just because this this idea and caps it's so arbitrary and we're so far removed from it, especially with everything going on now. There's like no sense in even discussing it. So I really don't. I most of the time now call myself a socially conservative libertarian, which to your point, kind of what you were saying earlier, it's so important. Social conservatism, 
I think is like the most important thing to libertarianism because um, I have a whole podcast recorded on this that I didn't even release yet, but um, as you have a more tight knit community and a more tight knit family with strong leaders and, you know, strong just strong people all around, virtuous people, um, you don't need a state. Once again, you can separate the state from the individual more and more and more as you grow that collective. And I know it's a cringe word for a lot of people, but like if you have a strong collective community, you know, a strong group of families that are tight knit and everybody works together, then you don't need a state to come in and help you out. So therefore, you know, once again, the state doesn't just have to be there. Um, But anarchist libertarians kind of, annoy the shit out of me who want to score 100% on the libertarian report card at all times, because they will, and to their credit, they're correct. Ron DeSantis. Yes. He's a neocon. Yes. He has, um, he, he loves Israel. Yes. He's not perfect. Yes. He's not a libertarian. Okay. I get it. But we're not at the point where we could sit here and pick and choose in 2022 about, you know, we're not going to have Murray Rothbard governing in Florida, right? We're not there. Accept that. Now you could choose between Ron DeSantis or Governor Wolf here in Pennsylvania who locked everybody in their homes. What's better? What's worse? Where would have I rather been? I would have rather been in Florida. And I I could hear a libertarian response to this, or at least the, historic libertarian response is voting for the lesser of two evils is still voting for evil. Um, And to to which I, I have this, I guess I continue to say this on Twitter that Mm. every criticism of the Republican party doubles as a reason for why libertarians should join the Republican party. Mm -hmm. The Republican party is not libertarian enough for you. Then you need to join it and make it more libertarian. That's my perspective. That's exactly what I chose to do. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been quite effective. Um, uh, in f- matter of fact, here's a white pill for your listeners. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners follow Josiah Lippincott on Twitter. He has been banned numerous times. Um, <laughs> but uh, he is a America First former Marine. I believe he's a former Marine. Mm-hmm. And he is from Hillsdale College. So he's only about an hour and a half, two hours north of me. And I invited him. He's a Republican. He's a member of the Hillsdale Republican Party. Um, and I invited him to speak down in Welsh County. And he delivered an incredible talk on America first foreign policy and why we cannot repeat the mistakes of Iraq and Afghanistan, why we have to let the George Bush, Dick Cheney legacy, let it die. We, we cannot get dragged into more nation building wars. Right. And it got the strongest response of any of our monthly speakers. We have a, we have a monthly breakfast at our Republican party headquarters mm-hmm. and Josiah Lippincott's talk on an, essentially anti-war America first Republicanism mm-hmm. was the most well-received talk we have ever had. Right. And, and that, that is what I mean when I say every every criticism, yes, the Republican Party is the party of George W. Bush. That is true, okay? But that is not a reason to avoid it. It is a reason to say George W. Bush betrayed our party. We are the America first party. He lied when he said he was a, uh, what was it? He, he, he ran on a non-interventionist platform, mm-hmm. right? George yeah. Bush is a liar. Okay, and that's the message that libertarians need to bring to the party. Now, maybe you don't say it that way because 
diplomacy is important when you're trying to work your way into the Republican Party from yeah. a libertarian background. You kind of have to learn the language. Um, but Josiah was excellent because he is a member of the Hillsdale Republican Party. He's a veteran in the Republican Party. He knows how to speak to, I mean, our former Republican Party chairman was a former CIA agent. So this is not a party that historically has been Ron Paul strong, okay? But the tide is changing and Trump started that. And you, you, you do see, and I understand um, with DeSantis, right? He may not have the best views on Israel or the best views yeah. on foreign policy, but to your point, what choice do you have here? Yeah. What choice do you have? And mm -hmm. I, 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 to kind of bring it back to the beginning, yeah. it, he, is Ron DeSantis the lesser of two evils? I don't think Ron DeSantis is evil. <laughs> like, okay. Like this yeah. is, this is the, the man is a legend in the Republican party. He's mm -hmm. beloved and he's yeah. kept his state free. Yeah. And, and though, um, though Bishop, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and it, yeah, I'm sure everybody knows him and I go back and forth on Twitter. I once again, nothing but absolute respect for him. And I'm sure everybody notices it never gets malicious because, you know, we're battling ideas. We would never battle character. I don't think that was a bad dude. I used to think that, but it was a reflection of my ego, not his. Um, so I, I have, I have that same problem. I, I can be a little impatient on Twitter. I can be a little coarse, yeah. uh, a little frustrated and, um, yeah, I, I feel you there, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Um, well, I originally saw him and I was actually talking to Mark Claire earlier today about this. Um, and uh, I, I originally saw though debate Dave Smith about uh, strategy and my first initial thoughts were, well, fuck him. I don't like him. And then, you know, over time I kept listening to him and then I threw some rocks at him on Twitter and then we talked and then he changed my mind to, okay, well, I used to be a strictly LP guy, right? Because here in Pennsylvania, um, we, we've done pretty well with the Liberty. You good? I'm listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're good. Um, I had, uh, originally just been a binary libertarian guy and just because here in Pennsylvania we had a lot of great or we have a lot of great activists and a lot of great people in our party but then um you know after 2020 if you're a libertarian and you're still a binary libertarian and you think that this is the only way then I, I kind of don't want anything to do with you because you're not about you know greater liberty I'm about liberty I and I say this all the time I'm zero percent partisan on liberty whatever creates liberty whatever's the best path forward to liberty in your locale you do that if your best path is Democrat, even do that. If your best path is the Libertarian Party, do that. If your best path is the Republican Party, do that. More than likely, in most states, most situations, to me, it seems like it's going to be the Republican Party may be the best way to liberty. Here in Pennsylvania, it's a little bit different. And once again, if this does not work, I will be the first person to admit it doesn't work. Um, we have a strong Libertarian Party, and there's people who have... Uh, um, my friend that I always bring up, Kate Crosby, she beat a incumbent Republican um, over in her town of Austin. My buddy Nate Job almost beat the 20-year incumbent as mayor by like 10 votes. So we have a strong Libertarian Party here. And there's guys that are in uh, Democrat districts that are getting like almost 50% of the Democrat vote running as a Libertarian. So once again, if these guys get in and they don't do anything with their positions or they're not 
good or whatever, then okay, bye. <laughs> Where, where's the Republican who's going to be better than you? I don't care. I want liberty. <laughs> we, right. we can't sit here and talk in abstracts anymore. We can't sit here and just want to be right for the sake of being right, it, which is what all anarcho-capitalists generally do. Um, we, we don't have that luxury anymore. It's it's go time. You know, It's now or never. We don't have the choice to be a pacifist and just well, sit here and let the yeah, world of our rights. I think that's a great distinction. Um, you know, we can differ on strategy mm-hmm. and you know the, the one thing about strategy and tactics that i that i think everybody needs to have some they need to be effective yes okay yes like if your strategy and your tactics aren't effective i don't have patience for it but right. if you can be effective in the libertarian party in pennsylvania or new hampshire mm-hmm. go for it you're not going to get right. criticism from me mm-hmm. speaking as a hoosier living in indiana the libertarian party is useful for a very limited range of things, right? Most libertarians in this state, they just need to join the Republican Party. Okay. And they could, because the Republican Party in this state is extremely strong mm-hmm. and the Republican Party in this state is extremely moderate. Mm-hmm. And they need, moderate might be too kind of a word. Um, they're, the, the, the Indianapolis Republican Party, they're too damn urban. Mm-hmm. is probably the way to put it. But um, those the, the Libertarian Party in Indiana is useful, especially on the local level, because I work with my local Libertarian Party chair. Okay, yeah, I, I, I saw you tweeting about this. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. And, we can continue on there, yeah. Right, so so in this this may be effective for people and some of your listeners and in their own communities. But as a member of the Republican Party, I only have so much political capital mm-hmm. um, before people are like, Jesus Christ, why are you in the newspaper all the time attacking Republicans, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and so like I've, yeah. I dropped a nuclear warhead on my assessor. And so when the license plate cameras at the city level were um, on the radar, I made some phone calls. I worked behind the scenes, but it was the Libertarian Party chair that I was working with who delivered a talk in front of the city council. And basically put them all on blast. And I helped edit his talk. But now I don't have to be the guy who yet again. You don't have to take the slings and arrows. Exactly. Because especially in a small town, eventually people are going to stop listening to you if if you're complaining about literally everything. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pick my fight. He picks his fight. And we can divide and conquer. Um, And, you know, the that is an effective tool from, a, from, from, from an LP standpoint, right? What is the goal? Is the goal to grow the LP or is the goal to defeat big government projects like right. license plate cameras, right? Yeah. And for this guy and I, the Libertarian Party reached out to me. They wanted me to be the chair of the county. And I said, no, but I've got a guy I think would be great. And before I recommended him, I sat down and talked to him. I said, what is your goal here? Do you want to grow the Libertarian Party? Is that your number one priority? Or is your number one priority liberty? Liberty, man. That's his number one priority. And so he and I have an agreement, right? I'm running for county council. I'm unopposed. Mm -hmm. Are you going to run somebody against me? No, he's not. Because I'm not a rhino Republican. I'm a liberty Republican. Right. But you know what you need to do? is run candidates against the rhino Republicans to make, to hurt the Republican party. 
right? Make them learn the hard way. If you're going to run rhinos and big government Republicans, we are going to make you pay for it. Mm -hmm. But if you run good Republicans, we won't oppose you. Right. And that's actually been a reasonably effective tool here locally at this point. Right. We're still sort of early um, in, in feeling this out, but it, it seems like we're going we're gonna to have some success. Nice. So when I saw you talking about this on Twitter, um, it was such like a, I hate using the pill term just because I don't look at it that, but such like a white pill, right? Because this, that, that's the most beautiful strategy that the LP and the GOP can do is that work together, right? Because once again, what's your goal? And I know plenty of libertarians who say they just want to grow the LP. Well, I'm friends with these people. I like them, but that's not the end goal. If we're just, or do you just want a party or do you want liberty? I don't, I don't care. I don't care about the fucking party. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about the GOP. I don't care about the libertarian party. I'm going to put a pin in that. I want you to finish your thought, but uh, I'm going to put a pin in that comment about libertarians who just want to grow the party. Right. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, sure. I don't care about growing the libertarian party. I want to grow liberty. So therefore, if your local LP isn't big enough to really do anything or get anybody elected, then hell yeah, use them as a fucking primarying tool. And your strategy there where you had the LP go up and you know beat someone over the head against these uh, traffic cameras, it's perfect because once again, yeah. you only have so much political capital before you just sound like someone crying wolf. So I, I really want a lot of people to kind of take note of that and think, you know, down in Florida, right? They have a lot of great people in their LP, but like, what are you going to do? Are you going to run somebody against Ron DeSantis? Who's going to win? And I took, I took shit for this, right? Um, do you know who Ian Smith is? The guy who uh, refused the lockdowns in New Jersey? I is, no, I'm not. I don't know him by name. Okay. He's the, the Attila's gym owner, the guy who defies. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. I do know him. Yeah. yeah. So he was on the show and um, shortly like I want to say it was like a week before I had him on, he announced that he's running for Congress, right? Well, I threw up in my LP chat here in Pennsylvania. I said, I don't think the Libertarian Party should run anybody against him. And honestly, I think the Libertarian Party should endorse him. Now they said they couldn't endorse him. Okay, I'm fine with that. But don't run anybody against him. And the only reason why you should run somebody against him is to maybe push him on issues that he's not good on. But I, I don't know any issues he's bad on. He literally told me, I voted for Ron Paul. What? Who's better known than the gym owner who's on Tucker Carlson, Tim right. Poole, defied lockdowns, made national headlines? Who yeah. are you going to get in the LP that's going to get more notoriety and have a chance at winning that than him? And, and if I can interject, yeah. the LP needs to change change their bylaws so that they can endorse him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the only reason they wouldn't be able to endorse him is bylaws. Probably, yeah. Change your damn bylaws and get that guy endorsed. Yeah, because it, it, it's, once again, if he's a Ron Paul Republican, I don't care. If I lived in Kentucky, or, do you think I want anybody to run against Massey or Rand Paul? No, <laughs> no, no, they're, no they're heroes. After the last two yeah. years, if your response is not they're fucking heroes, yeah. get out of here. You're not a libertarian. I don't right. care that they're a Republican. I don't care. Who, I, Rand Paul is once again a national treasure for what he's did to Fauci. This is the yeah. only dude 
in the GOP that's it, with a name like his that's saying, let's put this motherfucker in jail. My favorite picture is him or is Fauci holding that picture that says arrest Fauci or something like, oh, it's fantastic. But uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I I, um, I had the opportunity to meet Thomas Massey. Um, he did a fundraiser for a statehouse candidate here in Indiana and um, will fight. Do you know Will? Yeah. Okay. He was at the fundraiser too. So I, I was able to meet Will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of good Indiana people on Twitter. And um, I told Thomas Massey, I, I asked him, nope, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell that story. But I did, <laughs> um, I did show Thomas Massey um, a particular um, candidate or a particular um, rep, mm-hmm. con- congressman. Um, I, I used this vote comparison website. And I'm like, hey, did you know that so-and-so only votes with you like 70% of the time? And he looked at it, he's like, really? He only votes with me 70% of the time? I'm like, yeah. And like, look at how this other guy, he only votes with you like 65% of the time. I'm like, he's like, do you compare me against everybody? I'm like, well, yeah, you're the gold standard. <laughs> like if like this, yeah. um, there's this Republican, I think out of like, I don't know, Nebraska or something. He just got indicted or no, he just got charged, found guilty for um, like election fraud. Mm-hmm. And he voted, I po- I tweeted this earlier. He voted with Massey. I'm going to look it up so I can mm-hmm. actually get the correct, the correct name. Yeah. Um, the guy voted with Massey like 61% of the time. Mm-hmm. So his name is uh, Jeff Fortenberry. He is out of Nebraska and he um, lied to federal authorities about a $30,000 contribution to his campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you vote with Thomas Massey 61% of the time, get the hell out of our party. Mm-hmm. You don't be- like, why are you get out? Yeah. Good. Send this guy packing. We don't need him. Right. Um, no, like the point is Thomas Massey's fantastic. And um, he is the, if, if you ever want to like get on a vote comparison website, cause at the end of the day, the only thing that matters are votes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like obviously what Rand's doing in the um, doing to Fauci is important too. So mm-hmm. I say the only thing that matters, but they, at the end of the day, the most important thing is how they vote because mm-hmm. votes determine policy. Right. And, and that's, that's a big thing because some people have really good rhetoric, but then they don't vote what they're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And there's right. a lot more of that than you might think. Exactly. Um, the, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we were, were talking about Thomas Massey and then uh, voting records and the what voting records, such. right. Yeah. Because again, at the end of the day, the most important thing is how they vote. So you can right. plug in Thomas Massey, and you can compare every U.S. representative to Thomas Massey. Mm-hmm. You can plug in Rand Paul, and you can compare every U.S. senator to Rand Paul. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have okay, like if you're in if you're over in Nebraska or down in Florida, you can get a perfect estimation of how your guys are doing, or how poorly they're you know how great they're doing, or how badly they're doing. And like here in Indiana, um, Victoria Sparks and Jim Banks, they're probably our two best Congress people. I'd have to check and see what Hollingsworth, how he's doing, but they're around like 75%, 70% of Thomas Massey. So I feel like my responsibility, especially for Jim Banks, because he's my Congressman. I like Jim Banks a lot. He's got great rhetoric. Um, and he's actually a really strong, like right-wing populist character in Indiana but he's not good enough on war. He's not good enough on America first. Right. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I need my civic duty. 
because I want to protect my freedom and I want to protect the freedom of my people. Mm-hmm. And I want to help push my party in a paleo libertarian direction is to push Jim Banks. Right. Because now I've, I've got the voting record. Mm-hmm. Um, be that as it may, we can return to the LP question though. Yeah. Which, it, which you, you, you mentioned people who want to grow the LP, right? Okay, I'm, gl- I'm glad I was going to ask you to come back yeah. to this, but yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, Is, do, do you want to like transition? Do you want to add anything? Maybe fill in some blanks there on, on your experiences with people who want to grow the LP? Um, generally, the people that want to grow the LP specifically, um, I've had a couple of these people on the show and most of these people are really good people. Um, they're good libertarians, but you also kind of notice they're not the ones with the bold messaging and they're great activists, but like not very impressive people. And you, you, you constantly, well, we got to defeat the duopoly. <laughs> That's usually a line that like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson at all, but he talks about um, uh, being you're, you don't have ideas, your ideas have you. That's kind of one of those situations where you know somebody's kind of like an ideologue is when you hear something like that. And there's certain tells on you know the right and the left that everybody has when they use a certain talking point you can tell that this person's probably gonna have like some other beliefs so like you know if someone says i'm a you know you know a boomer con when you see one you know a woke leftist when you see one you know a lulbert when you see one right you because they're ideologues they have certain you know kind of idiosyncrasies amongst a larger group of people that they all kind of have the same idea. It's almost like a hive mind. And, and not to say that they're not different in some capacity, but they generally kind of clump around the same ideas. Um, that's kind of how I see some of these people who say, I just want to grow the LP, is that they're so focused on growing the Libertarian Party versus, you know, okay, well, asking the question, what grows liberty? And that's always been my question. And that's kind of where I've came to since I started this podcast. It's just whatever grows liberty, I'm cool with. And if that looks like the Republican Party, cool. If that looks like the Libertarian Party, cool. If that looks like the Democrat Party, cool. I don't care. What, you know, how do we advance liberty? So that's kind of where I fall there. So yeah, go ahead. So, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make a metaphor and it may fail, but- I used to be a history teacher and one of something I took very seriously in the coursework with my students was when you're studying for an exam, you're not just studying to ace the exam and and perform well on the test, which Mm -hmm. obviously is important. Yeah. But the act, the the way I wrote my tests, they were all essay tests, uh, which the kids hated, but that's the way it goes. You're not just going to get multiple choice tests with me. And they had to read, they had to study, they had to actually um, familiarize themselves with the information. Mm. And that process builds skills, okay? So yeah, you're studying for the test, right? But that's actually only half of what I'm trying to do. I want you to perform well on the test. I want you to know what caused the Great Depression. I want, right, okay. I want you to know like why the minimum wage is a, suboptimal economic policy if you're trying to you know better people in the sort of lower substrata of society but that's half the battle right the other part of that is you're developing this work ethic you're developing um you have to read the material so you have to develop focus right work ethic is probably just the 
easiest way to describe this, right? Mm -hmm. If your goal is liberty, just like the goal, you know, you, you have a goal to get an ace on the, an A on the test. That to, to, per, per, to pursue liberty politically, and Angela McArdle's actually done a pretty good job talking about this. It requires a sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. It requires courage. It requires the virtues. And what, it, I don't want to speak too broadly, but there, there is a sense in which libertarians feel entitled to liberty because liberty is the morally correct position, right? Like theft, right? I mean, I'm entitled to my property. And if you steal from me, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. However, you lock your doors at night, you store your property in a home, right? You don't leave your Ferrari parked downtown unlocked, right? You take responsibility to defend what is rightfully yours. Mm -hmm. And that is a part, just like in order to get an A on the test, you have to have a work ethic. In order to achieve liberty, you have to have this sense of civic duty. And that may seem kind of boomer conish, right? It, and it, I can understand why libertarians would be uncomfortable with this, right? There's that phrase, well, freedom is not the freedom to just do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, I understand like it kind of sounds maybe a little bit like that. And I understand some discomfort, but I would encourage people to really think hard about that. You know, if, if it's not immediately persuasive to you, that's fine. I'm not really trying to persuade you. Uh, I'm just speaking out of experience. It, if I had not gone to war with this assessor, we would be getting fleeced unethically. It required responsibility. It required a sense of duty to fight back against those immoral assessments. Now, as it, as it concerns the LP, some people just want to grow the LP. Mm -hmm. That's what you said. And yeah. one of the defenses, like, again, one of the criticisms of the Republican Party is, um, well, it's not libertarian enough, right? Mm -hmm. um, any criticism of libertarian party or of the Republican Party along those lines, like from a libertarian, it's going to be, it's not libertarian enough. But the re, and I was, I'm not a, hear me out on this. I'm, I'm curious of your opinion. Sure. I think the reason the libertarian, in fact, the libertarian party is so pathetic to me because it is nowhere near power and yet it has been compromised. How does that happen? What kind of weak people have been in leadership that you have, you are, you are not elected to any offices, any legitimate offices, you don't hold power, but yet you're compromising. And, and yeah. that, is, that is the appeal of the Mises caucus is, is that they, they don't want to compromise, right? Hey, we have to throw a Hail Mary, right? We need to go for, for gold here, we'll go for broke here. Mm -hmm. Like I see it with Republicans down at the state house in Indianapolis, they're in power. They've got lobbying groups, interest groups, business groups trying to get them to vote one way or the other. That is where the pressure hits. And that is, and it's a lot of pressure. And that is where compromise happens. And I don't, I mean compromise in a negative sense. That's when you compromise yeah, your principles. Right. How in the hell are they compromising their principles for nothing? Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so. 
I can give my anecdotal experience because it's funny you you mentioned this because I live in Pennsylvania and we were a kind of notorious case last year where um, just to give a brief background um, to be a delegate a voting member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania at convention you have to be a member for 180 days right every single convention for the last like 30 years with the exception of last year they waived right. that rule right yep. I'm well, familiar with it Okay, so yep. you kind of know this whole situation? I do. Yeah, I do. Okay, so yeah, I was at convention last year, and I've only been a member of the Libertarian Party for about, I think, like two months before that. Sure. So I wasn't able to vote. Um, it, it, to me, seems like there's a bunch of people who feel, th this gets to a very grandiose point, and I'll, I'll work my way there, but um, these people work very, very hard for nothing essentially right they had a title i'm the executive director of the libertarian party i'm the chair of the libertarian party i'm eastern vice chair i'm western vice chair i'm central vice chair um it was a very very small pond and they were frogs on a lily pad in this pond and it's a very small pond so they feel pretty significant well as the mises caucus came about because you know they're essentially what the libertarian party should be is we're going to go all out because you know we may not have a lot of political capital but our goal is to grow that political capital by bold messaging and getting more and more people involved a very noble goal but i understand where people would have issues with that um so when the mises caucus comes along and the pond starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger these people who were originally the frogs in the lily pad in the small pond they don't like the ponds getting bigger so they're willing to say all right well now we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that you guys don't have power we saw that once again this is what happened last year they didn't do anything wrong per se right because within the bylaws they could not allow anybody to vote and they did that mm -hmm. do i think it's shitty yes but if they didn't do anything wrong and i will throw rocks at the mises caucus too because there were some people saying oh they they denied people the right to vote no you didn't have a right to vote it's in the bylaws right right it's shitty but well, it's within the bylaws and, and i i remember when this happened um and dave smith said yeah. hey look this is great this makes them yeah. ridiculous they bought themselves 12 months mm -hmm. uh, you know the it's coming. It's coming. There's nothing they can do about it because we're going to have yeah. so many more people now next year. Everybody's and there was, and, and there was, and I assume that just happened, right? I yeah, think it was, I remember, it was beginning of the month. Yeah. My brother. And I, month, I think I yeah. remember that. Um, oh, that Chonkus. What's his oh, name? John, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I think John I remember Morgan. him flipping everybody off as he left. Like, like he's stone cold Steve Austin yeah. or something. John Waldberger is the guy's name. And I, these are the kind of people who were in charge of the Libertarian Party. And I'm perfectly okay with these kind of people leaving because once again, if you're this, if you do shit like this, you don't, you should not be politically active. Um, me and Mark Claire were just talking about this, yeah. excuse me, earlier, is that if you're going to be such a, you're in the Libertarian Party, if this is your whole life, you're a loser. I'm sorry. If your whole life is just about the Libertarian Party, which will effectively probably not change anything in most places, then what what the hell's going on with you? Like, what are you I doing? Mean, and, and think think about that. This is a guy. He's in a political party, so and he, I believe he's run for office. Yes. <laughs> Do you trust this man with real political power? I, I certainly would not. No. I mean, this, is, this is a guy that that 
it seems to me that he has there's no sense of actual responsibility mm-hmm. um, to the cause to his party at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is self-serving. Yeah, is is the way it appears to me from afar. Um, and, and so a person like that in a in a maybe we shouldn't be surprised that politics is his life because sometimes those are the kinds of people that gravitate towards politics who are just totally mm-hmm. self-serving. Right. Um, but you know, again, it's not enough to have good ideas mm-hmm. and that's kind of, kind of brings it back around to that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, that's okay. Yeah. And it's, it's literally similar to a kid throwing a temper tantrum on the steps and pounding his fists because he didn't get his way. And that's what a lot of these people in the libertarian party did. And you know what I say? Good go and when you're done throwing your temper tantrum when you're done being a child who just shit their pants you can come back to the table and help us out in whatever you want to do but if you're going to continue to just say we're racists and just bigots and oh they're they're taking over the party oh the takeover i i don't want you here and if they went to the gop i don't want them going there either clean your fucking act up act like a fucking adult and once again if you're going to be this bitchy pissy and moany over the libertarian party i don't want anything to do with you and i wish i could be a little bit more politically active here but i mean dude i, I play in a band i exercise six days a week i got a wedding coming up um you know i work on cars it's i i stay very very busy right but, and i'm far from perfect but no that's that's actually a, a really interesting a, a good point you bring up right because um the, the, the time issue mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I, I used to lift four or five days a week. I rarely lift at all anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'm lucky if I can get in some close grip, grip bench press or go on a jog or something like that. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm hitting it hard on the campaign. I'm fundraising. I've got a lot of other things on my plate right now. Right. And sometimes I think just from a, a sort of life balance perspective, um, I think as adults, we just have to kind of appreciate that we can have seasons of being involved in politics, but just because you don't, you're not a lifetime politician, right? Like that doesn't mean you're not doing your duty. Right. And if you're going to go, you're going to run a campaign, you serve a term, you serve two terms and you're done. That's fine. We need people like that. And then right. once you've done that, you can show up to the party breakfast once a month. You can be a precinct committeeman in the GOP. You don't have to run for office, right? Pull the levers of power in other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody like you, you've got a lot on your plate. Well, you're giving me an opportunity to discuss these issues with Mm -hmm. other people. And I hope that there are libertarians out there kind of listen to this. Maybe they're on the board, on the, on the border. Like, you know what? I do have a really strong GOP. Maybe I should join that because this guy's been able to be effective. Right. And and speaking of being effective, I, I think this is probably a, an interesting or a a good place to bring this up is I do not feel like I'm taking over the Republican party. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a, I am a traditional Republican. Like I'm, I try, when I speak with, with Republicans, I try to speak to them through their own tradition. Right. So, so real quick to, to kind of add ahead. on to your point is that uh, th- this takeover it implies that the libertarian party essentially is good enough and they're correct. Right. I mean, like it's, yeah. it's interesting. I don't like the word takeover. It doesn't feel accurate to me for what you're doing um, because you're actually a libertarian. Mm. Um, the reason I bring up the word takeover as far as my project inside the GOP is 
I do not believe I'm actually taking over the GOP. Right. You're bringing the GOP back to what the GOP should be is Ron Paul Republicanism. Or, or to, to sort of even moderate that a little bit more, mm-hmm. I would simply say that I am a member, I'm a right, I have a rightful place in this party. I represent the old right, anti-FDR, you know, Barry Goldwater, Pat Buchanan, Ron Paul tradition. Yes. And look, if there's a Mitt Romney Republican over there, well, I can kind of just say, hey, look, I have as much to write, as much of a right to be in this party as you do. Mm-hmm. And um, so instead of this, like, I'm this libertarian who's coming into the party to, or take over or whatever, and, and like, and I might not even say that I'm trying to bring the party back. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to grow my wing of the party. So I, that, that's probably the way I would describe it. Um, because if you're trying to bring the party back, well, then you might have to bring some people tr- tr- kicking and screaming, right? Right. And I'm, I'm really trying to um, practice some diplomacy in my party so that when I'm like, yeah, I'm a Pat Buchanan, Ron Paul guy, people say, oh, yeah, I, I know those guys. But if they're more of a Donald Trump guy or maybe they're somebody, they don't feel threatened by me. Right. And then over time, you build relationships. And, and that, real, that really is the key here. Uh, anybody who's thinking of joining their Republican Party, you need to make friends and you need to build relationships. Um, f- f- I mean, you're going to agree with most people on 80% of the issues. Mm-hmm. Focus on those 80%. Once you have a relationship with them, once you have friends in the party, then you can start talking about those 20%. Because now you're talking about those 20% as a friend and not an invader. Right. And see, that's where I think a lot of people get lost. And I think that's where the whole takeover kind of deal kind of fell flat is that why don't we say we're joining the party and we're going to work alongside you. Right. And so many people are so opposed to the MC and they think with their Republican plants, which is just absolutely silly. That that really uh, really is silly because of how many Republicans, the libertarian, how many former Republicans the Libertarian Party has nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really str- <laughs> it's really weird that that they would yeah. say oh, you're a Republican plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's that's that is a good point, and I, I've heard that said before. But uh, yeah, when you come to people and you want to change their mind, it, your main tactic shouldn't be to go for the jugular and expect for them to listen. Because you know, when was the last time you walked up to somebody and said, "Hey, you're an asshole. You should listen to me." When do you think that works? Because as far as I know, it's not going to work. But if you come up to this person and you have a good relationship with them, you develop capital, right? You, so, you know, you and this person get along, they like you, then then you could start kind of pushing the issues like, hey, you know, why don't you think about, let's say, drug laws this way, right? We could, and I haven't talked to that many Republicans about like this kind of stuff, but like, let's say the drug war. Um, obviously all Republicans are big on police, right? Back to blue. Um, let's, let's think about it this way. Well, how about we make police officers safer by not having them enforce these ridiculous drug laws? Because all they're doing is harming peaceful people. And then they're putting themselves at risk, especially with no knock rates. And, you know, they go into people's houses, the police could die, the civilians could die. Let's make everybody safer, especially the police. And let's not have them enforce these laws. Cause then you're, you're speaking it, you're, speaking it to them in a language that they're going to like, because once again, they're pro-police. And this is, this is a great opportunity for me. I, I, I came up with the best 
language mm-hmm. to, to talk about the drug war with Republicans. And okay. the, the, the fella I nominated to be our LP, our, I didn't nominate him, excuse me, I recommended to be our LP chair. Sure. Um, he was very hesitant to be a member of the Libertarian Party because he is an extremely right-wing Christian dominionist. Mm-hmm. And he said, I just don't agree with them on the drug issue. And I said, well, what, what about it, don't you? He's like, well, I don't believe people have a right to do drugs. And I said, okay, what about this? I said, it, it's, it's not that a man or a woman has a right to do drugs. It's that the government doesn't have the right to stop them. That is the responsibility of family, churches, and community and friends. And he was just like, I mean, it was like <laughs> the light bulb. He's like, Oh yeah. my God, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, the government doesn't have the right to stop you. Mm-hmm. And I'm, just that simple shift, right? Because when you talk about, oh, the right to do drugs, man, that is going to wave so many red flags with people, right? But when yeah. you talk about, does the government have the right to stop you? Or is that the responsibility? Now you're talking about responsibility mm-hmm. of friends, family, churches, and community. Right. I mean, when I said that to him and I saw his his eyes, just he was like, oh my God, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to have to remember that line <laughs> because that, that worked. I, I'm right. not a very persuasive person. I, I mean, I can imagine how many people have been in arguments all their lives and they've persuaded like one out of every hundred people they've talked to, right? Yeah. This is one of those times where I was actually able to persuade somebody. Um, I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was life-changing. But I, but that learning how to speak their language. And, and I'll, I'll kind of backtrack here. You talked about anarcho-capitalists earlier. Mm-hmm. And I come from that background. And the thing about an ANCAP is we live in the world of ideas. We live in the world of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And we have great ideas and a great philosophy. And I believe that, I mean, I'm a big fan of Michael Malice. I think he's correct when he says 99% of human interaction is anarchist. All right. But when you're getting involved in politics, politics is not about ideas. Right. It is not. And your ideas have to motivate you. Okay. You need to bring your ideas to the table, but climbing the ladder is about relationships. Mm-hmm. Now you can use those ideas to build relationships with the right allies. Okay. I've got some great commissioners here. We see eye to eye on just about everything. Um, you know, they'll tell me taxation is theft. They're constitutionalists. Um, and they're much further right than constitutionalists. Um, but they're Liberty Republicans through and through, and we've yeah. been able to build that, but it didn't, you know, the, the ideas can be the, the sort of spark that builds a friendship or an, an alliance, but it's not the currency, okay? Libertarians need to understand, and anarcho, anarcho-capitalists need to understand, if you're going to join the Republican Party, it's about building friendships and relationships. Your ideas come second. Now, this is where it gets tricky because once you're in politics, you will come up against some challenges. Loyalty. Everybody in politics is loyal, everybody. But the question is loyal to what? Are you loyal to the party? Mm -hmm. Are you loyal to your friends? Are you loyal to your donors? Or are you loyal to your principles? Mm -hmm. Okay, Ron Paul was loyal to his principles. That's why he's a legend. Okay, everybody else is loyal to one of the other three, donors, party, friends. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. It's very difficult to be loyal to principles. Mm-hmm. Um, be ready. If you're going to join the Republican party, be ready to be challenged on that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it will take nuance, but d- don't underestimate your own ability to delude yourself into thinking you're being loyal to your principles when you're not. No. Good. I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Yeah, dude, that's, this all been really good stuff. So um, we've been going for about an hour now. You just had a tax bill passed, um, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, let's go ahead and elaborate on that. And then uh, we'll kind of wrap up because I'm really sure. interested to hear about this. Sure thing. So um, in a nutshell, what was happening here locally, and I've alluded to it a couple of times, um, we run two storage facilities. When an, when you're undergoing property tax reassessment, the assessor can look in Indiana, they can look at three different approaches to value. And what was happening was our assessor was assessing us as a full and functional storage facility. So our value was assessed significantly higher than the depreciated value of our buildings. Because if you look at a sales comparison and a, you know, a storage facility sells for $10 million, well, that storage facility is gonna have 90, 92, 93% occupancy. It'll have employees, it'll have an operating system, software, it'll have security, it'll have um, a reputation, a brand. All of those components account for between 30 and 50% of a storage facility's value in the market, okay? And we're a market value state. So if you're going to assess us based on these sales comparisons, you must back out for business value. The storage units don't rent themselves, okay? So you can build a storage facility like we have here for around $22 a square foot where, we, where we're located. They were trying to assess us on old buildings for $30 or more a square foot. And we're saying, wait a minute, wait. We build these things brand new for 22. Historically, the cost has been about 15 until inflation, until this recent bout of inflation. So how are you getting this huge number? Okay. And they say, well, look at the sales comparisons. It's market value. Well, market value of what, Kelly? Is it market value of the property and the real estate? Or is it market value of the property, real estate, and the business? Well, she would talk you in circles when you ask that question because she doesn't have an answer to it. So I brought this up. I mean, I joined the Republican Party to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I originally, um, the, 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 let, me, let me just sort of say the end point here. The, the law, this is what the law does. It, it requires assessors to use the lowest approach to value. So you can use sales comparisons, you can use an income approach, and you can use a cost of construction. But whichever method you use, you you can use all three, but you have to default to the lowest. And you you cannot, um, any any business value of a storage facility is anything in excess of the depreciated replacement cost of the physical property. Mm -hmm. That might be a little in the weeds. Does that make sense? Uh, a little bit, but good. Okay. Well, I, 
this is the problem with this law. I wish I was Will Fight and I could just talk about constitutional carry. It's <laughs> really boring crap, which is why yeah. I really didn't get into the weeds with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other words, what they're trying to do is it's a backdoor wealth tax. Uh, okay, all right. Now okay. that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you have a CVS and there's a business value attached to CVS, right? Mm-hmm. If you buy an empty CVS building, well, that's going to be a big difference between buying a building plus a CVS or a Walgreens or you know whatever's popular around your area. Yeah. They were basically taxing us for the value of the Walgreens building and the Walgreens business. Uh, right? Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. So now there's this value that is actually not property, that they are property taxing us on. They're basically taxing you on the brand. Well, it, it's, but it's not just the brand. The it, brand and the business itself. And, and the business itself. So it's called business yeah. intangible value. So if you have one storage uh, building, yeah. you sell an empty storage building, mm-hmm. that's going to sell for significantly less than if that storage building is full. Right. Because now it's generating income and revenue and, right. and you're helping customers. Those are your customers. And you should not pay property taxes on those. You already pay taxes on those customers to the IRS. <laughs> yeah, right. right. So we were being double, really triple tax because we also pay Indiana state income tax. Um, sorry if that took a little, that, that might've been a little messy. Um, no, 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 that's okay. No, it, it, it makes sense though. You, you're but, getting um, hit at state level for the business and then for basically the building and the business together. Wow. Right, right. And, and you know, Every county around us doesn't do it that way. They do it. Yeah, they just tax your buildings, right? But like I said, in the market, if you go and buy a storage facility, 50%, up to 50% of the value of that storage facility will be, quote, business intangible value. The paying customers, the value of the contracts, the software, the brand, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, you should not pay property taxes on that. Right. It's not property. You don't, I don't own my customers. Right. <laughs> like this is like, these are not slaves <laughs> that I own and pay taxes on. Okay. Right. This is a business that I, I pay taxes for the work, the income that, that it mm-hmm. generates. At any rate, um, that's the idea. We were able to get that legislation through the session um, this year. I mean, I, I really, I'm lucky. I, I've got two very, very good state representatives. I worked with the self-storage association on mm-hmm. this. And um, if anybody, any of your listeners are in self-storage, um, give me a follow, uh, you know, reach out to me because Indiana and I believe Idaho, yeah, Idaho just passed a similar law as to what we got mm-hmm. through in Indiana. So we, we're starting to get some momentum here. And um yeah, there's all kinds of different things we could talk about as far as that goes. But that is the reason I joined the party mm-hmm. because I wanted to put pressure on my state rep and my state senator. They're going to see me at breakfast every single month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, yeah, how's it going? You know, I'm talking to them. Um, I wrote the bill. I, like I said, I worked with the SSA, but we, and the SSA hired a lobbyist um, in Indianapolis to actually sort of like carry the football it took everybody to get this done. It, it really was a long shot. We threw a Hail Mary pass and somehow we connected. Wow. So essentially now you're, uh, 
the building's just taxed on the property, if I got that right. Right. So the depreciated okay, value yeah. of the property. Now, you know, Indiana is a market value in use state. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of complicated, but the problem, like they they have market value in use because like if you have a golf course, mm -hmm. the market value of the golf course land is much higher than what the golf course is actually worth. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're not you'd bankrupt a golf course if you tried to property tax them on the value of what that land would be if a real estate developer bought it for a subdivision. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we could have a whole podcast on property taxes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I regret going down this road at the end of the podcast. It was probably <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> no, nah, dude, you're good. You're good. Um, no, that's awesome though, that you got that bill passed. And I think that's what we need to see more of is just rolling back tyrannical government when it comes to just dumb shit like that. Like, yeah, and, right. And I'll, and I'll say that, you know, this is the kind of bill that can really open the floodgates to making improvements in other property. So right. um, in Indiana, there's this like one, two, three cap. So if you're residential homeowner, they cap you at 1% of your value. So the county cannot tax you 5% of the value of your home every year. It's 1% right. cap. Then there's a 3% cap on commercial properties. And there's a 2% cap on like other property. Well, there's, there's this um, rehab clinic up in Fort Wayne, which is just north of me. Yeah. And there was a court case recently that decided that rehab clinics could be taxed at the 3% cap instead of the 2% cap. Mm -hmm. So the assessor up in Fort Wayne saw this and moved them into the 3% bracket. And it's like, this is a health rehab clinic. Right. This is not Kmart, Walmart, uh, you know, a, a massive box store or a, a restaurant that you're taxing at 3%. I mean, people go in there to rehab after injuries, it should probably pay no taxes at all, right? It should probably be a nonprofit right. or something like that. But she's trying to move them up there. Well, guess what? Self-storage is also in the 3% cap. And we just sort of created this precedent that you know, we should really be treated like, um, like multifamily apartment complexes because that's the language we used in our bill. So now next session, we want to team up with rehab clinics, hotels, and um, other, you know, and storage right. to get everybody into that 2% cap bracket because we don't rent to Walgreens, CVS, Kmart, Applebee's, right? We right. rent to homeowners, to everyday people. Um, so one little law like that, you know, it seems like, oh, it's just an industry specific law. Who really cares? Is this really defending liberty or is this just you know, his own special interest project. Well, no, because we can, we can build on this. And there's all kinds of horrible laws out there that dispropor disproportionately affect certain industries worse than others. Right. And, and we, we need to attack those laws. Well, it's awesome that you kind of did a issues coalition kind of deal where you're having all these Working businesses on. come together to fight this one thing. And I think that's something that people should definitely kind of take note of is that, you know, what did Ron Paul always say, you know, issue coalitions, you vote with, you know, if the left's anti-war and they're not really anymore, but right. um, back in the day, if they were good on war stuff, okay, well, you can work with them and push certain bills. And you even see this somewhat today where I think it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like Ilhan Omar, um, 
she I did. She, yes. Yeah. She'll vote anti-war. Okay. Well, why not work with somebody like that? If they're good on a issue, doesn't mean you have to agree with them about freaking everything, but if they're good on this one issue, you guys can campaign together against this one issue, right? You shouldn't be afraid to reach across the aisle or talk to other people just because they have the wrong initial next to their name. That's that's just not the way it should be. And that kind of seems to be the central theme of our conversation here. Um, All right. Well, we will wrap there. Brandon, where can everybody find you? And what else do you got going on in the near and immediate future? Yeah. So you you can find me on Twitter at Indiana Paleo. Um, The... The name, my, my name on Twitter is Harnish for County Council. I'm running for County Council, uh, unopposed in the primary. And as of yet, I'll be unopposed in the general. I'm doing fundraising for that. Um, it's really going well. I've been able to parlay this self-storage success, this legis- legislative success into some fundraising. Um, I've also built a lot of really good relationships and connections here in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting fundraising from that. And right now, the the war chest is sitting close to $5,000 and we aren't even at the primary yet. And Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, this is a race that I could probably win with like $900. Mm -hmm. So if I do get an opponent, we're going to go scorched earth. If I don't get an (laughs) opponent, if I don't get an opponent, here's what I'm excited about is we've got a guy running for prosecutor who is this like ANCAP bronze age, What's that guy? What Bronze Age? Um, the raw egg guy. Oh, Liver King. What's that? Liver King. Yeah, yeah, he's that kind of guy, right? Like he'll talk to me about paleo libertarian <laughs> yeah. stuff. He, I'm like this. I'm like, wh- how have I never met? He's he's running for county prosecutor. He's an officer in the Republican Party, and this guy is like a Lou Rockwell, like paleo libertarian. He's fantastic. And I just yeah. never knew about him, but if, but he has an opponent, he's running against some Democrat. And um, if, if I don't have an opponent, I'm going to be sending him a lot of money mm-hmm. to make sure that he wins. We need him as a prosecutor. Right. He's anti-woke. He's great. He's great. His name's yeah. Colin. He's a good guy. Nice. So anyway, I'm sorry. I was wrapping this thing up. I got, yeah. I got sidetracked. Um, that's where I am right now. So that's kind of what's on my political horizon where we are. Um, I could get into the assessor stuff. We're kind of working on getting her out. Um, we're working on reforming the property tax board of appeals. That was a whole nightmare. Um, just a bunch of lackeys and friends of the assessor on there. It's a miracle. We won locally. Um, <laughs> I won't get into that maybe next time, but that's kind of what I got on my plate. Nice. Well, uh, you're definitely doing the kind of boots on the ground work that some people feel they're above. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, I think your GOP sounds absolutely incredible. And honestly, I would probably join your local GOP over your over the local LP, honestly, because I mean, it sounds like you guys got a great crew up there and you guys are really doing awesome work. And I, I really hope this makes its way around the uh, liberty sphere and a lot of people hear your message and get encouragement from it i know i definitely got encouragement from it but um you know i I just i cannot say enough how much i appreciate the fact that you're doing you know god's work essentially the libertarian work (laughs) and putting in the time the blood sweat the tears and you're not just you know shitting on one side or shitting on the other you're saying hey 
let's all work together here and let's achieve liberty. It's not about the LP. It's not about the GOP. It's about liberty. And that is the thing that every libertarian should concentrate on. I don't care if you're a libertarian, the Republican, Democrat, or libertarian party, you should be focused on liberty. It's not about party. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what, just to kind of wrap it up, you know, yeah. if, if your audience is listening to this, they're like, ah, do I, do I want it? It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It re- it really is a lot of fun when you're winning. And I'll tell you what, it's really weird to win as a, as a former libertarian, as a libertarian at heart still, it's really strange to get to the victories <laughs> under your bed. You're like, how is it? And, and this is, it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm the part of the Detroit lions where the, the loser mentality is just a part of my, my being now. Right. And, and I'm like, what? Oh my God, I'm actually winning. I'm, I'm like, I have turned the party against the assessor. She's being investigated. She's going to lose her primary. Like, I'm I'm going to cause an assessor to lose her primary. Mm-hmm. Or I I should I don't want to take complete credit, but I it's a ton of fun. And if you, if you're thinking of doing it, just g- jump in um and and give me a follow on Twitter. I'll follow you back. And I'd love anybody who's active, any libertarian who's active in their local GOP. I want to follow on Twitter. Mm, nice. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll call it a wrap. Oh, no, no, no. You know what? I forgot my two questions. Oh, sure. <laughs> I sure. I almost <laughs> forgot that. Um, what does liberty look like to you? What does liberty look like to me? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. You know, um, I, I, when I think of liberty, honestly, I, it, and I don't want to get into too much here, but I think of fast cars without a bunch of computer tech. Okay. <laughs> I think of like cars from like nice. the, the apex of automobiles, which is my, oh, there, yeah. There, what, what, can you show me that again? I, I wasn't yeah. an SS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, with wrench on there. Yeah, I think of fast cars. I think of family, healthy families. Um, I think of um, isolationist foreign policy, peace, okay? And I have no problem using the, the, the word isolationist, non-interventionist. Now I'm an isolationist. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of people, I think of men and women who are able to provide for their families without working two jobs and needing, you know, what, what does Blake Masters say? One single income? Mm-hmm. That to me, that's that's liberty, that's freedom. Right. You can if you can go to work and wrench on a car for eight hours and come back and you can provide for your family and live in dignity because not because of some welfare state shit, but because the value, the integrity of the dollar is secure. Those are the things to me. That's what freedom means to me. Nice. Um, What does health look like to you? Could you, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? What does health look like to you? Health looks like I'm (laughs) speaking actually very personally. um, Health would be a good night's sleep and no acid reflux and having the energy once again to lift four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. That is, that is probably a little too personal, but that's what it looks like to me. I do. That's, that's perfectly fine. You and know, hitting your macros. <laughs> Believe me, I, I try to do it. And I'm pretty Been good too long for me. I, nice. All right. Well, um, any closing thoughts? No, uh, this has gone on long enough. Um, I'd love to talk to you again, maybe get into some more of the details about the property tax stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really kind of nuanced, difficult thing to wrap your head around, especially the first time you hear it. Mm -hmm. It really is a pain. It's a pain to understand. It's a pain to explain. Sure. Nice. That's, That's all I got.
yeah, dude, I would love to have you on again. This was an awesome conversation. And I hope this uh, lands you some spots at some other podcasts and I may kind of see where we could push this. So, uh, dude, it was a blast talking to you and, um, you know, but just best of luck to you. And hopefully, um, you know, you keep kicking ass into the future. So, um, as usual, everybody check out axonsledge.com for all your supplements. Use code Matovic10, M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K-1-0 at checkout to let them know I sent you. And uh, until next time, everybody take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.